Hello and welcome to the Anchor Faith Message Podcast. Enjoy this message. I want to talk to you about greater. Say greater. greater. Say greater. greater. Look at your numbers or your neighbor say greater. greater. Look at the one on the other side say greater. greater. That should include everybody including the walls. Greater. I like it. Greater. Greater. We serve a great God who's got great things in store for his great people. And if you've been with Anchor Faith Church for any period of time, you know uh, that salvation is just the beginning of God's plan for you. Thank God for the reality of heaven. But listen, there is a relationship now and there's a plan now where you have a connection with God. And there's a definitive call and purpose. Just in your Bible reading, you know when you read the the stories about the great men and the great women used of God. Uh, Yeah, they had an experience where they had gotten a covenant with God, but God used them while they were on the earth. And so we need to be awake in this time, uh, this word that we got during Kingdom Rise that I just keep in front of you, Pastor Earl and Marcy, keep in front of you, one of revival and awakening quickening life signs wonders miracles passion fire purpose we need to keep this in front of us do not let the world uh, dull you or uh, desensitize you to what the plan of god is for you he that began a good work in you his desire and his goal is to complete it the question is are you going to line up with and stay connected i want to talk about greater the call the confession the commitment, and the connection. So if you're taking notes, I want to talk about greater. The call, the confession, the commitment, and the connection. Now the word greater, say greater. Greater. It's used over 150 times in the New Testament. So God puts an emphasis on it, right? Matter of fact, in John chapter 14, verse number 12, You can jot this down. John chapter 14, verse number 12. It says, most assuredly, this is the words of Jesus. As we were worshiping. I want you to get this picture and this vision in your mind. I was thinking of what the disciples, what it must have been like for the disciples to be around the Messiah. The king. And man, I was just picturing while we're worshiping. And this is how I want us as a church to think today. Is man, they must have just been drawing in awe and astonishment. I mean, they were hanging on every word. Could you imagine? I mean, if Jesus was here right now, you would give great attention to what was coming out of his mouth. I mean, you would be like a sponge absorbing what is the king saying. But you know, he's still speaking today. He's placed the fivefold ministry as gifts to the body for the equipping of the saints. So the words that I'm speaking to you are just not words of man. They're words of the king through inspiration and the anointing of the spirit of God. And the purpose is that God wants to give you a download, give you a good spiritual meal today to equip and quicken you for the work that he's called you to. As I've been studying the life of Jesus this year, because that's what I had in my spirit, 
I've been researching the signs, the wonders, the miracles, the healings of Jesus. The 28 that I've researched thus far, 24 took place in the, what we call the marketplace or outside of church. Four only took place in the church walls, in the synagogue. I say that to you because there's a call, there's a confession, there's a commitment, there's a connection to reach this community with revival, with awakening. And I would say that some of the greatest miracles, signs, wonders, proclamations and publishings of the gospel are going to be through you as you keep, uh, stay committed to the call, right? Yes. As you can continue your confession, your commitment, and your connection, it's going to happen outside these walls. You'll be a bridge that will bring others in so that we can reproduce more disciples in St. Augustine, Florida, this state, this nation, and this world. Are you excited this morning? Yes. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So greater. 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 Over 150 times in the New Testament, the Bible talks about great joy, a great calm, a great faith, a great prophet, a great king. And also Jesus said there's going to be some that are great among you. So God never is nervous or scared about your ambition in him. And there's plenty of room in the forest. Say there's plenty of room. You're in your own lane. You have your own call. This is not a competition. Amen. The Bible says, he that would be great among you, let him be the servant of all men. So God doesn't mind you aiming high in him. God does have a problem when you're aiming high in yourself. When it's your self ambition. But when it's a God ambition, he's all for you. Say, God's all for me. Say, God's all for me. Say, he has a call on my life. Greater. The word great means large. More. How many of you just feel like more? During corporate prayer, uh, man, it was a powerful time. Thank God for the leading of the Holy Ghost. We were able to pray for two different people, which I believe will have testimonies from that. One got filled with the Holy Ghost during corporate prayer. We didn't have an altar call. Just said, I want to be filled. I want... More. That was his exact words. Greater, more, large. Greater means more space or spaciousness and abundance. There's more in you than what you think. There's more in you than what you think. Greater. Greater. Jesus said, most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, 28 Signs, wonders, miracles, healings, three years of intensive discipleship, investing in 12 men, which turned into 70 men, which turned into 3,000 in the Books Act, which turned into 5,000, and multiple others as you look at the pattern of God. Listen, it's a fact the most introverted person on the planet will influence 10,000 people during their lifetime. Introverted. Say greater. He said, the works that I do, greater works will these do because I go to my father. Now, let's go to the book of Isaiah and use Isaiah as just our key person in the study. Isaiah is an interesting book. There's 66 chapters in Isaiah. There's 66 books in the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. And it seems in the book of Isaiah, the first 39 chapters and the first 
39 chapters of the Bible from Genesis to Malachi deal primarily with the Old Testament. The last 27 chapters in Isaiah give wonderful and vivid messianic prophecies that relate to the 27 chapters we have in the New Testament. Isaiah, which names means Jehovah's helper of salvation. He was a statesman, which was he was in the political arena. He was a reformer, a preacher of righteousness in the midst of idolatry. And on Wednesday night, I talked about some things. I can't get in all the review, but man, there's light and there's salt in the earth. Matthew 5 talks about that light I call silence and evangelism. He said, you are the light of the world. He said, you are the salt of the earth. When we go out into the community, man, we should shine for Jesus. Light doesn't always say something, but it always displays something. It's what I call silent evangelism. Salt is active evangelism where I'm making contact by the Spirit of God. And we need to make contact by the Spirit of God. I had a, an instant this week where I was dealing with an individual who wanted me to pray for them. And it was an opportunity to be salt, but the Spirit of God said, don't pray for them. And the verse I got was out of 1 Timothy. It says, lay hands suddenly on no man, lest you become partakers of their sin. That's love. Now, if the Holy Ghost would have allowed me, I would have prayed for that individual. But I told him, point blank, if I pray for you, nothing's going to change. And you're going to be offended at God. So we need the Holy Ghost. Galatians 5 in the New Living Translation says the Holy Spirit will help you in every part of your life. God cares about all the intricate details every day, whether you're a mother, father, in your business. He cares about your financial well-being, about your mental well-being, about your spiritual well-being. Romans 8, 14 says, as many as are led by the Spirit, these are the sons of God. We want to allow him. Now, he's the lead. We're to follow him, and things will go well. So Isaiah was a statesman. He was a reformer. The reason I bring up light is because we want to maintain a righteous life. I brought this up in prayer, or um, from a prayer from Paul on Wednesday night. But in the Amplified, over in, uh, it's Colossians chapter 1, verse number 9, about through verse 13, it said that you'd actually lead lives that would lead, live lives that would lead others away from sin. So when I say that Isaiah was a statesman, he was a reformer, he lived out the word of God. Do not be a hypocrite. Hallelujah. And what I mean by that, this is out of love. You want to measure or get to the standard of living out a Christ life like. Does that mean you're not going to have frustration, setbacks, failures? No. But a faithful man will repent. A faithful man will stay sensitive. David blew it. King David broke the sixth and the seventh commandment, murder and adultery. But yet God gave him a place of reconciliation and God gave, eventually gave him a place of restoration. And in Acts 13, 22, the Bible says that David was a man after God's own heart. Now, he never fell back into those sins again. But when the prophet confronted him, he repented. That's the difference between King Saul and King David. And that's the difference between what God has in store for your life and somebody else. Are you going to be soft towards the thing of God? God had a plan for Saul. Saul failed to keep a soft heart towards it. He was more moved by the people than he was by God. David was more moved by the prophet than he was by the people. 
So Isaiah was a reformer. He was a prophet. He was a teacher. He was a theologian. And in Isaiah chapter 6, we see the call happen in his life. Isaiah chapter 6. Starting, I'm going to look at the first nine verses. And just kind of break these down verse by verse. So stay connected and believe with me for the Holy Spirit uh, to say whatever needs to be said and insert whatever needs to be inserted as we read this. All right. The call, the confession, the commitment and the connection. Revival and awakening. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and lifted up and the train of his robe filled the temple so Isaiah gets a prophetic vision of heaven and my prayer tonight for everybody or today for everybody in this sanctuary is a vision a vision I'm not talking about being weird or fruity I'm talking about a genuine authentic understanding that there's a plan God has for us and I want to I want to connect with his vision or you can say his mission for my life. Now listen, I just want to insert this real quick. There's a general mission and there's a specific mission. Because so many people are looking for, what is God's plan for me? Well, just do the general and the specific will come. What do I mean by that? If he's created you as a man by birth or a woman, then you want to be the best man of God or the best woman of God you can. That's a general purpose. You may look in, am I supposed to be in the mission field? Am I supposed to go into business? Am I supposed to be a pastor? Listen, do the general first and the specific will come. So many times we get the cart before the horse. If you're, if you're a a husband or a wife, guess what? General purpose. There is a, a qualification in Timothy. It says, if you don't know how to rule your own house, how can you take care of the church of God? So he's saying you got to do the general purpose first. If you want to, and you got to stay in the general just because I've obtained as something, maybe I'm thriving in business. I still need to be the best man or the best woman of God. There's a high premium that God puts on parenting. Matter of fact, God would have never called Abraham if he didn't parent correctly. Genesis 18 uh, talks about that at Sodom and Gomorrah. He said, I'm going to show Abraham what I'm going to do, but he, he will command his children after me in righteousness and judgment. So these are general purposes. Listen, my life in Christ is an example. In 1997, when I got born again, thank God for laborers across my path. Steve Miller, uh, my friend that I used to run around with in high school, used to party with him, used to drink with him. We were jocks. You know, we were ACDC, heavy metal, rocking, talking people, right? But he got born again. I thought, man, this guy is really weird. I'm distancing myself from him. But he had a tenacity like a pit bull. I'm sure he prayed for me. But he also would call me. I mean, I quit answering his phone calls because all he wanted to talk about was Jesus. Thank God I didn't get, he didn't give up on me, though. Amen. And he stayed tenacious when I was in Columbus, Ohio. And God put some other people in my path that started preaching me, and I gave my life to the Lord in 1997. I just knew at that time I needed to get connected to a church. So I found Raymond Christian Center in Columbus, Ohio. I grew up in a Catholic church, people. Hallelujah. Matter of fact, one of the ushers was saying, you know, if we put a little white thing in our usher shirts, we'll look like priests. I said, I grew up like that. 
So when I went to a charismatic church for the first time, I wasn't used to, they didn't have door greeters, they had door huggers. <laughs> this is predominantly a black church. So you get a big hug when you came in. But man, I remember sitting there the first time and, and subsequent times after that, just taking notes and all, I got so mad when I heard Apostle Scales preaching, I said, where has this been my whole life? Because the truth I was listening to, in those days there was such a hunger, such a passion. We talk about the call, you got to be passionate for the things of God. I would get his cassette tapes, put them in there until they would eat some of them, right? You know how they used to get stuck and you pull them out and you try to reel them back together? Every once in a while they pop and be frustrating because you just lost a good message. Today, how much easier do we have it with all the technology? Thank God you don't have to carry a Walkman around anywhere. Right? But I was hungry, man. Wrote down sticky notes, uh, you know, scriptures on sticky notes. Put them on my wind, my mirror, you know. Put them on the dashboard of my car. Where are we still doing that today? But I just knew I needed to be at church because there was a connection. I've been, been there since 1997, but I was just... I was going to church all of a sudden. I just, it wasn't, I didn't have a vision. When I talk about vision, I wanted to set the context because I don't want you thinking or seeking a vision. We're not to seek the vision. We're to seek the word of God. If a vision actually comes, great. But there is a vision he'll plant one way or the other in your heart. So I'm just going to church, loving the Lord. And about, you know, six, eight months later, I just, on the inside, no visitation from an angel, no dream. I just knew there's more. There's greater works. And I just knew, I remember uh, my mom used to get the Word of Faith magazines from Kenneth Hagin Ministries. And I just remember looking that one day and something on the inside said, you need to go there. That was the vision that God gave me. But for that time I was at Raymond Christian Center, just doing the general purpose, reading my Bible every day, praying, going to church, and then a massive diet, say massive, massive. of the Word of God. Yes. You know, whether it was Apostle Scales or... Uh, listening to it because that was my pastor at the time or reading the word of God. I was just into it, still into it today. But then God, you know, took me to Bible school. And this is how things work out. I'm at Bible school, you know, from 1998 to 2000. Just learning, absorbing, right? I don't even know if I'm called in the full-time ministry or not. I just knew. But as I went through those couple years, you know, things start to work out. As you're doing the general purpose, it gets to get more specific, and God will bring the right connections, the right resources at the right time as you're staying committed and connected to the general purpose of God. And then, obviously, I uh, met my wife at Bible school. I was believing for that. Praise the Lord. He who finds a wife finds a good thing. For those of you that are single, Matthew 6.33 says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness in all things. And a wife is a good thing thing. So keep on seeking the kingdom and not a spouse and the spouse will be added. So, you know, I just knew that, okay, we're getting married and Angie and I, you know, at that time we had, you know, after we got married, started to, we got married in 2001, started talking about ministry, kind of felt that, that leading, that unction, right? And starting to get more direction. Why? I'm just doing the general purpose of God. And what he said and doing it faithfully. You're never going to get much accomplished for God if you're not faithful. Matter of fact, faithfulness, you're not going to get much done of anything if you're not faithful. Faithfulness 
is really a huge key in the kingdom of God. Faithfulness shows up Sunday after Sunday. Faithfulness takes notes. Faithfulness reads my Bible. Faithful meditates on the right things. Faithful watches the right things. Faithfulness guards my heart. Faithfulness guards my mouth. Faithfulness guides my eyes. And who are we faithful to? We're faithful to God Almighty. Oh, when you get a vision of heaven, it'll change you. It'll change you. And so we prayed, though, and, and the Lord gave us this word. Don't do anything. We had a couple different opportunities. One of them was take over a youth pastor job in, in Oklahoma. Um, and then Pastor O had told us about um, Anchor Faith Church because he graduated with us in 2000. And so we prayed about both those things. And you know what I got? Enjoy your marriage for a year. And then we found the Old Testament that when you get married, it says enjoy your spouse for not just a year. I don't want you to think. I just need a year to enjoy my spouse. But the first year, they actually, the family would actually provide the resources for a year-long honeymoon. And so how many of you know when you get married, there's a merge? Hallelujah. When you get married, there's a merge. When you get married, thank you, there is a merge. Which way do you put the toilet paper, up or down? Do you squeeze from the bottom of the toothpaste or from the top? There's a thing in typically everybody's room, it's called a hamper basket. Either you're a really bad shot or you just decide to leave your clothes on the floor. There is a merge, right? So God said, just enjoy your marriage covenant for the first year. So we heeded to that. And because we're just doing the general purpose, guess what? After that, God said, now I want you to go get connected with Pastor Marcy. And we've been running with them ever since in 2004. Hallelujah. What does God have in store for you? But the general purpose helps qualify you for the specific purpose. You doing the general purpose keeps you qualified for the specific purpose. Greater, more spacious and abundant is the call on the plan of God for you. Isaiah said, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and lifted up, right? He saw the vision of God. The vision. I'll give you this one scripture in Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see the Lord. You want to sharpen the vision that God has for your life? Learn him as Jehovah Mekiddish. Jehovah Mekiddish is a word for sanctifying. In the old covenant, when God had a plan for Moses, he built a tabernacle. He was very specific in the dimensions, the material. I mean, elaborate from the way that the priest dressed to the, the length, the height of the actual tabernacle to how you approach the holies of holies. And after the brazen altar, there was a thing called the brazen laver where the priests would wash their hands and their feet. And the parallel we carry through the cross is today we still experience that laver in our life when we meet him as Jehovah Mekiddish. At the altar is where you're justified from sin. At the laver is where you're justified from self. The brazen altar is where I meet Jesus Christ, my Lord, as Redeemer. And that's where they had the five offerings 
for trespasses, sins, trust, um, um, guilt, peace offerings. But when they got to the laver, the priests had washed their hands and their feet. Today, we can still experience him as Jehovah Mekiddush. Ephesians 5 put it this way when it's talking about husband and wives. Washer with the washing of the water by the word. And so at the laver is where we sharpen our discernment. We sharpen our vision because we choose to, to receive him and let him cut those things off. John 15. John chapter 15 talks about pruning. And as Jehovah Mekiddush, she has the right to say, oh, you need to do this. You need to do that. Why? Because he's trying to make you better. You know, a coach, when it comes to athletics, they'll try to shave tenths of a time off. Swimmers shave just not because they're trying to show off their body. But the hair gives more resistance in the water. How much more does God the Father say, I could shave this off of you? You're not going to waste time or effort like maybe other people do. I'm going to get you to where you're supposed to be quicker. We don't want to take uh, delays in God's journey for us. Verse 2, above it stood the seraphim, so back to Isaiah's vision. Above it stood the seraphim. This is an angel, right? It's a fire angel, a minister of God. This angel had six wings. With two, he covered his face as a token of humility. With two, he covered his feet as a token of respect, and as two, he flew. And verse 3 says, and, they, and these seraphims cried to one another, and they said, we sang the song, holy, holy, holy. These angels just cried, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. Verse 4 says, and the posts of the door were shaken, by the vo- voices of the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. Now, verse number five is real. I, w- I want to zero in on this vision. And it says this. So Isaiah seeing all this. He sees the glory of God. He sees the temple of God. He sees the seraphim. He hears the cry, holy. Could you imagine yourself in that position? And so when he sees this picture, he says in verse five, woe is me. For I'm undone. Whoa. When we see that word, you need to understand that's a passionate cry of grief or despair. It's a lamentation, really. It's like a big exclamation point. Whoa. I'm undone, which means I'm I'm silent. I don't even know what to say right now seeing this vision. One, one definition means I'm cut off. And when you see the Lord, you're going to cut some things off that are unnecessary, that are weighty, or that'll be a hindrance in your life. He said, my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And man, that was the call. We're talking about the call. We see the confession We're going to get to the commitment and the connection. But this is the call and the confession. And he said, well, I'm undone. You know, repentance doesn't happen at the altar every Sunday morning or Wednesday night. Repentance can happen on a Monday morning just when God makes a little adjustment. 
Repentance is the first word that Jesus preached in Matthew 4, 17. He said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repentance is a change in the way you think and the way that you live and the way that you act. He said, woe unto me, I'm a man that's undone. What was he doing? He's repenting, saying, oh, Lord, shave some things off of me. As David cried out in, Isaiah, in Psalms 26:2, examine me, test me. Is there anything in me that displeases you, Father? And Isaiah's having the same thing. He's saying, man, Lord, I'm undone. Cleanse me. Verse 6 says, one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hands a live coal, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. So from the altar of God, the seraphim comes, he hears Isaiah's call, he hears Isaiah's confession, and the great thing about God is he said he's in a repentant state, I'm going to purify him. And he takes this live coal, you know, fire purifies, fire burns off unnecessary things, but it also purifies, and the seraphim took the, the, the coal and touched Isaiah's lips, and his speech was cleansed. It was a hot stone, a glowing stone. Matthew chapter 3, verse number 11 says, you're going to receive the baptism of not just the Holy Ghost, but fire. Say fire. 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 We talk about revival. We're talking about fire, right? Well, today I'm personally talking about your revival and your personal walk with God. Awakening to your, in your personal walk with God. Because I believe if you awaken to what God has for you, if you're revived in your personal life, God's going to use you in great capacity and potential in the plan that he has corporately for Anchor Faith Church. The question is, how bad do you want and how far do you want to go with God? Do you want to be a, a, a great um, honor to his name or do you want to be a great disappointment? The choice is yours. God has a plan for you. You just need to connect with it. Verse number seven, he said, he touched my mouth with it. Now listen, he said, behold, this has touched my lips. The fire of God has touched my lips. Say fire. fire. Say fire. fire. Say greater. greater. So this fire has touched my lips. Now listen to this. Your iniquity is taken away and your sin is purged. Now Isaiah, 66 books to discover this man of God. This is early on in his walk. But God deals with him personally so there could be a manifestation of a nationwide revival and prophetic word to go forth. And he says something powerful. He says, your iniquity is taken away. The word iniquity in the Bible means this perversity. Write this down if you're taking notes. Iniquity means perversity. It means a bent. It means a distortion or it means twisted. Iniquity means there's a perversity in your life. There's a bit or a way that you've been doing things. Something's distorted or twisted. Now, over in Exodus, it talks about, I'll visit the iniquity of the fathers upon the children. To the third and the fourth generation. So, obviously, there was something that was being passed on from generation to generation that was perverse that was a bent or that was twisted or distorted just a little bit. And God's saying, I'm taking this coal of fire. I'm touching your lips. I'm taking away your iniquity. Now, being in ministry, we've learned and still continue to grow. A lot of what we experience as adults, the root issue stems from something you experience as a child. So the question I'm asking you today 
Is there any unresolved issues? Disappointments? Abuse? Thank God for the anointing of the Holy Ghost. Some of you won't deal with it. Some of you will. Don't check out on me. And be real. Receive it. You may be thinking, well, I'm, I'm doing all right. But there could be something from way back decades ago that God said, I want to touch that. He said, your iniquity is taken away. In counseling, let me give you a real case scenario. Angie and I have you know, done counseling for the ministry for years, and it's interesting. As I'm growing in this thing and will continue to grow, I've noticed that as we get backstories, even in premarital counseling, you know, we ask about background, how was it growing up with your family, Mom and dad were together. Okay, were they functioning together? There's a difference between even though mom and dad are together, it could be a functional family or dysfunctional. But it's interesting, you know, as going through uh, marital counseling, a lot of the struggles that I've seen, the same thing their parents went through. Not always. I'm not giving a 100%, but it, there's, a, there's a pattern there that I've been seeing for years. And I believe it's this iniquity, this perversity, this bent, this distortion. So in these counseling sessions, we have to deal with them. And today I'm I'm just having you search your heart by the Holy Spirit and really open it up. You'll miss this moment if you really don't allow. God wants to heal. Why does he heal? Because he wants to use you. And if there's a wound... If you're bleeding out, you're not as functioning as God wants you to be. Right? What do you got to do if there's a wound? You got to put pressure on. You got to get the bleeding to to stop, right? The hemorrhage to stop. You got to let that thing heal up. And then what? You can uh, run at full capacity. So this iniquity, this distort, this bent, God wants to touch that day. He said it's cut off. Or it's taken away. The word take away means it's going to be put aside. It's going to be turned off. And what I see from that today and what I believe the Spirit of God is saying right now to those that are going to take hold of it, those that are going to receive it, those that are going to act on it, is that thing that's been plaguing you, it's time to turn it off. When you turn off a water valve, what happens? The flow stops. And by the power of the word of God, through the blood of Jesus, by the anointing of the spirit of God, he's saying, turn off that thing today. Be real, open up, confess it, acknowledge it, forgive it, and let the flow stop so I can use you to a greater capacity. He also tells Isaiah this. He said, your sins are purged. The, The word sin just means it's an offense. So anything currently or that you've done, where you've offended God, you know that you haven't hit the mark. You haven't lived up to it. So God's dealing with the past and the present to get to the future. And an offense can be this. It means you're either in the condition of sin 
or you're in the guilt of the sin. Oh, but there is a remedy to sin. It's called the blood of Jesus. It's called confession to the word of God. As I said before, if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you and to heal you from or to forgive you and uh, cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So sin is taken care of because of the, the name of Jesus. And it's purged. That means he makes atonement for you. Psalms 103 says he'll remove your sin as far as the east is from the west. In the name of Jesus, see yourself as God sees you. If God doesn't hold it against you, you don't hold it against yourself. Say, let it go. go. Say, I'm letting it go. go. Say, I'm dealing with iniquity. iniquity. I'm dealing with sin. sin. So I can go on to greater works. works. Now, verse 8 says, after all this happens, verse 8 says, I also heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send? So see the position that Isaiah gets in? He deals with the private thing first, and then God can use you publicly. He deals with the general uh, truth of life first, and God gets him over into a specific plan. And David had to deal. This is the pattern in the Bible. Everything that God does, he does on, according to a pattern based from a principle in his word. And David had to deal with the private predators first before he got to the public performance. Isaiah had to deal with the private things of life before God used him publicly. And you, to be used of God, need to deal with the private things first to really get into this river of awakening and revival. Verse 8 says, For also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? That's God's cry today. There's two great commissions in the Bible in Matthew 28 and Mark 16, and they both have the word go. In Isaiah 6 You see the same word, who will go for us. Isaiah was so moved. Are you so moved by God? Are you so passionate about God that you'll say like Isaiah, here I am, Lord, send me. Here I am, Lord, use me. I'm a vessel that wants to do greater works and greater things. So we see the call with the vision. We see the confession of Isaiah talking about how he's undone, how God deals with iniquity, how God deals with sin. We hear the commitment with Isaiah that says this, Lord, I will go. That's a commitment. I'll do whatever you want me to do. I'll go wherever you want me to go. I'll say whatever you want me to say. In worship today, I thought, Lord, I don't care if I'm in the White House or in the outhouse. I'm not intimidated by any man. I got the greater one on the inside. Wherever, whatever platform you want to put me on, I'll minister to. So that's the commitment I'll send me. Here's the thing. Isaiah stayed connected to the commitment. Where will your life be in Christ? A year from now. Thank God for the testimonies. Thank God for the testimonies at East Coast Camp. Thank God for the the testimonies that we get on a Sunday and Wednesday. God has been moving, church, mightily. And the the best is yet to come. But I believe corporately, listen, the sin of Achan affected the community. If you're familiar with that story, God gave a commandment. Not to take anything out of this one town. No spoils. Aiken, one man, 
out of greed and covetousness took. And it affected the whole community. So your private walk has a corporate effect. And God loves you so much, he's given you the grace to overcome anything in life. So he was connected. He began a good work. Uh, he's committed, but he stayed connected. And just like the youth, just like testimonies, it's great to have a testimony today. But look beyond that. Where are you at in five years? Where are you at in 10 years? Where are you at 20 years? The impressive thing with God is staying connected. And that's what I like about Daniel. He went in as a teenager into captivity. He started right. During captivity, he stayed right. And around 80 years old, he kept right. Finished right. So connection means I'm going to start right, stay right, and finish right. But here's my key thing for you today. Is in order for you to keep this commitment, you need to have a plan in place. If you want to be greater... If you want to be used of God, you got to understand the call. You got to keep your confession. You have to stay committed and you have to stay connected. And really, this is a thing of a consecration. Lots of C's today. For those of you taking note, just trying to get something for you to stay in your mind. Second Timothy chapter two, verses 20 through 21. Second Timothy chapter two, verses 20 through 21. But in a great house, what are we talking about? Greater greater in a great house they're not only vessels of gold and silver listen to this church this is a letter written to the church but there's also wooden clay some for honor some for dishonor now listen to this therefore if anyone say if anyone anyone. who's anyone that's us right Cleanses if God cleanses him. If the Holy Spirit cleanses him. If his wife reminds him. It says if anyone cleanses himself. Well, I'm born again. Well, yeah, but this is written to the church. This is the Holy Ghost talking to the church. If anyone cleanses himself from the latter, which is wood and clay, he will be a what? A vessel of honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. In a great house, there's good works. But the choice is yours to sanctify. What does sanctify mean? It means to set apart. You know, it's interesting that's talking to somebody recently and they're watching the Olympic trials. You know, you got teenagers in there, maybe some in their early 20s. And these athletes have a vision of what they want to accomplish, right? They have a goal, whether it's a a high jump, whether it's sprinting, whether, you know, it could be the the summer Olympics or the winter, it could be skiing, but they have a, a passion they're pursuing, right? And you know what? That's a great definition of sanctification, Because they set themselves apart, right? Why? They're trying to receive a medal. So you know what? They just don't eat anything. Listen, I liked oatmeal cream pies when I was growing up. 
I'm going to give you another blast from the past. Tang. I'll throw in Steakums real quick. Yeah, these were. You know, I used to take Tang and sprinkle it on top of vanilla ice cream. Sweet. You know what I'm not doing today? Tang yeah. on vanilla ice cream. You see, Hosea chapter 4, verse 6 says, My people perish for what? A lack of knowledge. It says, Since you've rejected knowledge, I'm going to reject you. You can say hallelujah or oh me, amen or oh me. Amen. So you're getting, you're being exposed through Anchor Faith Church to great truths and wonderful impartations every Sunday and Wednesday. Great times of corporate prayer on, uh, you know, Tuesday morning, Thursday morning, Sunday morning. But you're being exposed to a lot, and God's going to hold you accountable for what you know. Amen. And so Tang, with vanilla ice cream, I know better. Oh, brother, you're under the law. No, I'm under knowledge. Yeah. <laughs> Hallelujah. Oatmeal cream pies. Have a shelf life of some time. I haven't researched about her Twinkies are 20 years. And it's bad doctrine to think that if I put that in my body, it preserves me longer. Right? So these Olympic athletes, they just don't eat anything. As a man or a woman of God, let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 through 27. There's great parallels and parables in the Bible. And I love the way that the Holy Spirit just speaks it in everyday plain English. My prayer, though, is that you'd have ears to hear. You know, it's interesting. Isaiah, uh, God, he said, send me. And God said, I'm going to send you, but not everybody's going to hear what you're saying. Because their ears and their hearts are dull to what. And then, you know what? Jesus gives the parable of the sower and quotes Isaiah in the parable of the sower about good seed and bad ground. And he said, some are going to hear and not understand. Some are going to see and they're not going to have the vision for it, right? But there's, it's a simple truth that God tries to relate so we can understand. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 through 27. You can write these down if you're taking notes. 1 Timothy Chapter 4, verse number 8. I'm going to give you four scriptures. I'm going to read them, okay? 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse number 8. Hebrews chapter 12, verse number 1. And Philippians chapter 2, verse number 12. I'll repeat them all again because my desire is for you to actually go home and read these. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 through 27. I'm reading this from the New Living Translation. It says, don't you realize that um, in a race, everyone runs. Remember I said... Man, you're in your own lane. You're on your own race with God. The general always leads to the specific, right? You got to continue the general purpose to do the specific purpose. But everybody's in a race. God's not measuring you by what your wife's doing or by what your, your husband's doing, by what your kids are doing, what the community doing. God is viewing you according to the plan and the purpose that he has for you. He said, don't you realize, don't you realize, don't you understand that in a race, everyone runs, but only one gets a person gets the prize. Remember, I said, when it's a God ambition, it's a good thing. The Bible says, so run to win. Somebody say win. win. Say win. win. Say greater. greater. So God's saying for you today, 
as an individual, Rhonda win. I don't know about you, but I hate losing. Honestly, I think something's wrong with you if you like to lose. I don't mean that mean, but there should be something on the inside that says, I don't want to ever let this conquer me again. Has anybody had that thought before? That's called dominion, the king's mandate. He's saying run to win. Goes on to verse 25. All athletes are disciplined. Say discipline. Discipline. They're what? You're called a disciple and a disciple is discipline. In their training, they do it to win a prize that will fade away. But we do it for an eternal prize. So I run with purpose. I run with purpose. I run with purpose in every step. I am not just shadow boxing. I discipline my body like an athlete. Training it to do what it should. You know, if you take your hands off the steering wheel of your flesh. I shared on Wednesday, I just had at the gym the other day, an older guy looked kind of rough. And I was, I try to be real aware of, walk in love, of people using machines. Matter of fact, I was talking to my wife about this and there's this other person in the gym I try to stay clear of too. But they heard this individual screaming from across the gym, hey, that's my machine. (laughs) The lady was going to get ready to use it. And this other person used something else. And she's screaming. I said, Lord Jesus, you need it that bad. Go ahead. But this guy comes up. And I I mean, there's it's not a big crowd. Not a big crowd. And so I'm thinking, okay, it's not going to hurt me. Take two benches. I'm trying to superset and really exhaust it because I'm thinking about verses like this, man. I want to take myself to capacity. I was struggling one time and went to the gym help. I was like, okay, this is just a forced rep. This is a negative. I feel like I'm going to puke, but I know there's something greater on the, uh, on the other side of this. And so he comes up, he's like using that bench. I'm like, you know, your mind's like thinking, no, you just watch me do stuff on it, you know, and you got a bench right there. But I saw the problem real quick was his bench wasn't adjustable and he wanted to do something on a Smith machine. So about 20 seconds, you know, he got a smug look on his face, and I could feel the attitude all over him. And I said, you got a problem? I felt my flesh come. I said, old man, I'll knock you out. You don't even know what you're doing anyways in here. You know how the pride comes. I watch you work out doing the same boring, monotonous routine. Ain't seen no changes in your body for 10 years. So why don't you go home and have some tang and ice cream? Because that's about all the. Go eat your oatmeal and cream pie because you ain't doing jack in here anyways. 20 seconds. I felt it, but I trained my body to do what it should. I said, um, you know what? I had one more set. It's amazing how it goes in your mind real quick. I'm giving you a glimpse into what I thought when this guy approached me. But here's what came out of my lips. You know, if you want the bench that bad, you can have it. I'll just do it. I'll find another set, you know, do another set. Let me get, I, I carried it over there for him. I said, hey, you want me to wipe this down? No, it's okay. I said, victory. 
I ran with purpose in every step. I disciplined my body like an athlete, trained to do what should. Otherwise, I feared that after preaching to others, I might be disqualified. 1 Timothy 4.8 says, For bodily exercise profits a little, but godliness is profitable for all things, having promise for the life that now is and the life which is to come. Another parallel between bodily exercise and spiritual disciplines. Hebrews chapter 12, verse number 1 says, this is from the New Living Translation, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight. Remember that iniquity? That's a weight. You carry around baggage from the past. That can slow you down. Shave it off. Turn it off. That slows us down. And then it talks about sin that easily trips us up. Let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. There's a race. There's a discipline that we need to be in. There's a sanctification being set apart. There's a commitment and a connection we need to be in. Philippians chapter 2, verse number 12 says this. Therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more my absence, work out. Say work out. out. Say work out. Your own salvation with fear and trembling. So when it comes to discipline, when it comes to being greater, when it comes to commitment, and when it comes to connection, you need a plan in place to be a part of the bigger picture. So just like the parallels that the Apostle Paul gave, the writer of Hebrews, it doesn't take rocket scientists or a degree to understand what you need to do to grow in God. Listen, in the natural, in the natural, when it comes to physical training, you should always be internally motivated. Why do I do what I do? Why do I do what I do? Colossians 3.23 says, whatever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord. But there's a passion that rises up, maybe after Thanksgiving, definitely after Christmas, when you don't eat all the junk food. That January 1, guess what? I, wanna, I need to do something about this. It's getting out of control. Right? So what happens? You start to formulate a plan. Some people actually get a gym membership, right? I love the January crowd. My question is, will I see them in February? <laughs> but they get a plan in place. And there's great parallels, like I said, between the natural and the spiritual. Spiritually, you need to get a plan in place so that God can utilize and use you. Are you with me, church? And so in the natural, guess what? One of the biggest factors in seeing results in your physical body is a thing called nutrition. We have macronutrients, which is your carbohydrates, your proteins, and your fats. Right? We have micronutrients, which would be your vitamins and your minerals. Well, guess what? Spiritually, you have micronutrients and macronutrients. Thank God for uh, great men and women of the Bible and all the resources, right, through books, study materials that they, that they have. But nothing can replace the meat and potatoes of the Word of God. Nothing can replace church attendance. 
Amen? Amen. There's something about reading the word. There's something about developing your prayer life. There's something about being at church every Sunday and Wednesday that feeds you at a macro level spiritually. Man, if you're a high output person and you got a lot of productivity and you don't get the nutritional requirements, you start to break down. You become in a state what you call catabolic or a breaking down of the body. Michael Phelps, when he was training for the Olympics, the guy ate 10,000 calories a day. Why? Because he put such a demand on his physical body. How much more spiritually? Are you feeling discouraged? Are you feeling in doubt? Are you feeling weak? Well, my question is, are you getting enough nutrients from the word of God? Are you getting, in, in essence, enough spiritual calories? Or are you eating spiritual tang and ice cream and eating spiritual oatmeal cookies? You know, when you take in simple sugars on a natural, man, your pancreas shoots up an insulin, glucagon's released, and you're like, bam, bam. Well, let me get some more sugar. Bam, bam. Are you taking in all simple sugars spiritually? That looks like a yo-yo Christian. Boop, boop. You got to get the right diet in place, right? That's 80% of your success right there. Then there's also training, right? We have aerobics and anaerobics. And any good training program, both physically and spiritually, is going to include all these. Now, aerobics means with oxygen. You know, it's interesting. I think about the Father, the Son, the Holy Ghost. Three in one. There's three metabolic pathways. You have three different types of body types. You have three different types of muscle fibers. I give glory to God when I think about all that for the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. But aerobic training is important. Why? Because the Bible talks about a thing called endurance. I love the story of Pastor Denise, although I would never do it. Pastor Denise came for our Living Faith Crusade. Uh, back what was that January and on a Sunday I love just the grit the determination on a s- Sunday she decides to run a 5k on a Saturday I think it was a 5k no training so she gives a testimony she's running and man she's like I'm gonna finish this thing I'm gonna finish it I'm not gonna quit and she she gracefully said there's a person that was much larger than her that pastor during this, during this 5K. She said the next day on Sunday, though, when she went to get out of bed, she had to go like this. <laughs> the reason I bring that up is because there's an endurance that we have to develop. The Bible says with faith and patience. The J.B. Phillips says patience is passing the breaking point but not breaking. Passing the breaking point, but not breaking. So you need to incorporate some endurance training. You know, and you know when you're doing it. Even there's a formula in the natural that lets you know what, your, uh, what percentage of your VO2 oxygen uptake you're doing at 60%, 70%, 80%. How, do you know that God in training knows if you're actually hitting that or not? And you want to line up your plan with his plan, right? Are you all with me? So there's, there's anaerobic training. Anaerobic means without oxygen, right? And But it's resistance training. It's strength training. 
And when you go in there, guess what? It's resistance. <laughs> that means there's pressure. In Proverbs 24.10, it says, if you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. So when it comes to this walk with God, guess what? There's going to be things that come your way, church. They're just an opportunity to get you stronger. Amen. A lot of believers, and Paul even prayed this prayer in 2 Corinthians 12. 2 Corinthians 12, he asked God to remove something from them. Let me read it to you real quick. We're wrapping this up. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And this is a prayer I think that, you know, I've prayed, obviously, and I feel like probably other believers have prayed because we want the pressure off. Now listen, too much pressure will break you. So you need to know when to cast your cares on the Lord. Because in any good training program, there's a thing called rest. Spiritually too, the Bible says, Come unto me all that labor heavy laden, I'll give you rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Even in the Old Testament, every seven years they let the field rest. Why? It would replenish the field. If I train my legs every single day for 365 days, days, guess what? There's going to be no results because I'm just pushing too hard. However, I can't just go to the gym and sit on a machine and say, ain't this a nice machine? <laughs> Second Corinthians 12 says this, verse number eight, concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart. So Paul's asking God to get it off of him. You know what God's answer was? He said, my grace is sufficient for you. For my strength is made perfect in your weakness. And those moments of what we'll call anaerobic spiritual training, when you feel like you can't go on anymore, then you say, okay, God, your grace is sufficient. You're taking me to another level. And this is why we need each other. There's the thing in the gym called a, a, a workout partner, training partner that can give you a spot. And sometimes when you get stuck, Just like on a bench press where I get stuck just a little bit. Oh, sometimes all you need is two fingers to tap that bar to get you past a sticking point. That's what church will do for you. Get you past sticking points. That's what reading the word will do for you. Get you past sticking points. Thanks again so much for listening to this episode. If you'd like to get more of our content, you can subscribe wherever you're listening, whether that's on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, etc. You can also watch our weekend messages at youtube.com forward slash anchor faith when they air every Thursday night at 6 p.m. Subscribe to us so you never miss a message and leave us a comment or a like. It really does help. You sharing, rating, and commenting on this podcast and any of our content is the best way to keep it in circulation for others to be influenced with this message of God's kingdom. So please consider sending a link to friends and family, sharing on social media, or simply giving us a rating. And finally, if you'd like more information about Anchor Faith Church and support the work we're doing from St. Augustine, Florida in igniting the city, impacting the nation, and influencing the world, you can visit us at anchorfaith.com. Thank you.